in your name and all God's people said. Amen. Hey, before we go any further, someone just shot me a text and said there's a white GMC Denali pickup with the lights on in the south parking lot. So we're all going to close our eyes, and you can go if that's your truck. No, we don't want anybody, obviously, to get stranded here. So if that's you or if you have a white Denali, you might want to think about checking it. Um, uh, as many of you know, a couple years ago, Christy and I had the opportunity to go to Israel uh, for the first time. It was an amazing experience, and uh, a major reason why our experience was so good was our guide. show you a picture of, of Rami. Uh, Rami Abu Hana, he lives in Nazareth with his wife and his young daughter. Um, he's a fascinating man, Arab by ethnicity, uh, Israeli, uh, I'm sorry, Palestinian by nationality, Israeli by citizenship, and Christian by faith. What a background, right? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, he, he brings a unique perspective to the tours that he leads, obviously, um, but he also brings a unique perspective to what's happening, of course, in the Middle East. And, um, and he and I have been in touch since the conflict began over there, and he and his family are safe thus far, but you can imagine the fear that they and so many others live under, which is why we have to remain in fervent prayer. Amen? Yeah. And, uh, and so while we were over there, I remember Rami's opening words to our tour group. He said, you know, I know you've come over here for a tour. I don't lead tours. I lead pilgrimages. And my hope for you as, as we take this time together is that you will draw closer to Jesus Christ. He just sort of laid it out there. It was awesome. Uh, it was a great, great start uh, to, the, to the tour. And, and throughout the trip, I took every chance I could just to hang out with him. At the end of each day, you know, you're kind of at these hotels. You can hang out in the hotel bar or whatever and catch it catch some time together and get to know each other and just wanted to learn from his perspective. One of the things that we discussed was how God had really uniquely and providentially positioned him because of that background that he has to do what he was doing and to influence so many for Christ. Um, like, like, like all of us, Rami didn't choose where he was born. He didn't choose his family. He didn't choose his ethnicity. He didn't choose his nationality or even his citizenship. These were gifts given to him by God so that he might not only lead many to saving faith, which he has done over the years, but also stand at the intersection of all of these different groups in his country and help people understand really the deep complexities of why the Middle East continues to be such a conflicted region of the world. He's no partisan. He doesn't take a side per se. He just simply shares from his diverse background and experience. It's pretty powerful. Well, I was thinking about Rami this week as I was preparing for this morning. I also thought about others that we're connected to here at Pepsi, like Amir Safarti who, and his family who leads Behold Israel, or the Sarel folks who were actually helping us arrange our trip that was, you know, we weren't able to take a couple of weeks ago as they were called up as reservists. And they're serving now in the Israeli military. I thought about drivers like Hani, who Christy and I had, and his family, and, um, and, and people, you know, many Palestinians that um, friends of ours, Christy and I, Shannon and Katie Batchley, when, when they served in Gaza as missionaries for many years, they met many Palestinians and befriended them and some of the things that they're going through. We've been just been on our hearts and on our minds. And that's what happens, right, when you become more and more globally connected. These, these world events start to really come home to you because it involves those that you love. Um, and so again, I thought about Rami, I thought about not only what's happening in Israel, but, but also because of how Rami, he really reminds me of the Apostle Paul in a lot of ways. And that really what brings me to my first point this morning as we dive into the scriptures together. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 22. We're going to be sort of in 22 and then into 23 this morning. And the, and the first thing I want us to look at is really the providence of the Holy Spirit. The providence of the Holy Spirit. And if you're unfamiliar with that term, providence simply means divine guidance 
or care. It's a reference to the power of God that guides each and every human being throughout the course of our lives. Now, it's important to note that this power doesn't turn us into puppets. That's not what God is after, all right? He's not up in heaven pulling the strings. That's, that's not what he's about. No, he gives us free will, but his power is so sovereign and so universal and so infinite that no matter what choice we make, God's providence means he will always bring it bring it about in such a way that it will serve his ultimate purposes in our lives. All right, we're going to see that in the Apostle Paul's life. So let me show you what I mean. Again, Acts chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 22, and I'll show you how this operates in Paul's life. It says this, it says, up to this word. Now remember, this is a reference to last week where we kind of finished last week, that comment that Paul makes at the end of his sort of testimony to the Sanhedrin where he talks about taking the gospel to the Gentiles, right? Up to that word, they were listening to him. But when Paul shared that word with them, they go crazy, right? They raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. And so the tribune came and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I bought my citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, I was a citizen by birth. And so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid, for he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. And that was illegal back in those days, all right? It's truly remarkable how God had prepared Paul for this particular moment. If you've been tracking with us, you know the Apostle Paul wanted nothing more um, than to preach the gospel to his people in Jerusalem. He had an incredible burden to see the Jewish people come to saving faith. He loved the Jews. He, they were his people. He even says in one of his letters that he wishes he would go to hell if it were if it would result in the salvation of some of his people, right? He grew up in Jerusalem. He knew many of the Jewish leaders by name. They had been his friends and colleagues at one particular point in time. And, but when he arrives in the city, his best laid plans begin to fall apart. He's recognized at the, at the temple. He's dragged out and beaten. We saw that last week. He would have lost his life except for the intervention of the Romans. And he defends himself then before those crowds and then the Roman tribune and then the Sanhedrin. And then he's finally taken to see Felix, the Roman governor of the entire region at the end of this passage. And as he ping-pongs back and forth between the Jews and the Romans and the Jews and the Romans and the Jews and the Romans, God's providential plan for Paul comes into view. Right? Who else but a Jew would know the language and the customs to speak so eloquently to the crowds? Who else but a Roman citizen would have been able to escape the flogging and eventually appeal to Caesar? You know, the scourging, if, if Paul had to undergo that, it probably would have left him crippled, if not dead. You, you might remember the Passion of the Christ and some of those brutal scenes, right? The, the scourge was a whip that had these, these cords that on the end of these cords were pieces of metal and bone. It was specifically designed to literally rip the skin off of your body, right? The blood loss alone was a killer. And who else but a Roman or a, a former Pharisee could stand before the Sanhedrin even, right? The ruling council and defend his faith. Now here's the thing. Paul chose none of these things for himself. 
And Paul didn't choose to be born a Jew. He didn't take some citizenship test to become a Roman citizen. And, and, and while he did study in Jerusalem under the feet of Gamaliel, right, his education as a Pharisee would probably have been chosen for him by his family and his community, at least on some level. All of these things happened, you see, by the providence of God. All these things happened because God had a plan for Paul's life. And he knew the kind of background and qualifications that Paul would need to accomplish that plan. And so he's born into a Jewish family in a major commercial coastal city called Tarsus in modern-day Turkey. His father or grandfather must have been wealthy enough to purchase Roman citizenship somewhere along the way. And so Paul inherits that uh, after he is born. They must have also been pretty well-connected because not just anyone gets to go to Jerusalem and study with the most well-known rabbi of the time period. These things are gifts from the Holy Spirit to providentially prepare Paul for his life's work as God's greatest missionary evangelist and church planter. Now here is the really awesome thing. The same spirit that was at work in Paul's life is in work in your life as well. The same spirit, all right? The same spirit who providentially orchestrated all these things in Paul's life. Again, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we have seen Paul go through all of that, right? The same, the same spirit who did all of that now is bringing about his sovereign will in Paul's life. He is actually doing that same thing in your life as well. He's taking all of your experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, bringing it all together to bring about his sovereign will in your life, to accomplish his plan and his purposes in your life. Nothing is happening to you by accident. It's not random chance. All right? God is at work behind the scenes making these things happen. Isn't that awesome? Does that bring you comfort? All right, even when you're going through the tough stuff, right, to know that, gosh, God is right here with me. He is, he is behind the scenes even now to take every event, every situation, every circumstance to fashion me more and more into the image of Christ because that's God's goal for our lives, not just to make us healthy and wealthy and, you know, all the things, that, you know, successful, all the things that we want as Americans, right? That's really not, I mean, that might be a small part of God's plan, but that's not His great goal for your life. His great goal for your life is that you would become more and more like Jesus Christ, that's what he wants, all right? That's his plan, it's that you might better serve his kingdom purposes in the world. That's what God's after. It's what he was after in Paul's life. It's what he was after in Rami's life. It's what he's after in your life and in my life. Thanks be to God. So that's God's providence. That's his, the Holy Spirit's providence. Here's the second thing the Holy Spirit does for Paul. He supernaturally provides for him. He provides for him. Flip over to Acts 23, verse 11. Okay, Paul's been put in prison by the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish council, ruling council, after being put on trial for his belief in the resurrection. They aren't sure what to do with him because this point of doctrine has been a, you know, a bone of contention between the Pharisees and the Sadducees for decades. Furthermore, as I, as I said before, it's highly likely Paul knew these men. All right? That he had worked for them you know, you know, before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He had been their brother. He had been their colleague. He had been their friend. This is at least part of the reason why things got so heated when Paul stood before them. Because their friend was now their enemy. Their colleague was now a traitor. They felt betrayed by Paul's conversion. And so when he makes his case about being on trial for his belief in the resurrection and some of his former Pharisee friends say they can't find any fault with him, the council loses their ever-loving minds and it grows pretty violent. 
fact, things are so bad, the Roman tribune is afraid Paul's going to be ripped apart. So he sends his soldiers into the council chambers to physically remove Paul and bring him back to the Antonia fortress where the Roman barracks are so that they can keep him safe. Now, just because he's safe, though, he had to be discouraged. I mean, his trip to Jerusalem, right, this great plan that he had has gone sideways on him. The people that he loves with all his heart are not responding to the message of the gospel. His former friends and colleagues now all want to kill him. Most commentators say this probably was one of Paul's lowest points, all right? And yet it is here where the Holy Spirit provides and the Lord Jesus Christ shows up in the middle of the night. Acts 23, 11, the following night after he's been put in the barracks, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've had what many Christians throughout history have called the dark night of the soul or had an experience like that, but I certainly have. It's a time where you come to the end of yourself. You've got nothing left, and your resources are tapped out, and you feel helpless and hopeless and lost, and your energy is spent, and all your ideas have hit a brick wall, and you've got no moves left to make. And that was my life in Wisconsin in 2009 before being called back home to Colorado to serve here at Pepsi. My marriage was failing, our family was falling apart, the church plan I was leading had collapsed, and I spent months pacing my living room floor every night for hours, yelling and cursing God out. And I reached a low point. I finally kind of got to a point where I was just exhausted and I had nothing left, spiritually, emotionally, physically. I was so depressed and anxious and lonely and afraid. I had hit rock bottom, and guess who I found there waiting for me? Jesus. Jesus. And he said, are you ready to listen, Doug? You ready to surrender finally? You ready to relinquish control and let me be in charge? Thankfully, my answer was yes, and I haven't looked back. Well, Paul faced his own dark night of the soul in that Roman fortress, and who did he find there waiting for him? Jesus. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Not just a dream, not just a vision, not just an apparition. No, the text make it, makes it clear it was the Lord Jesus Christ himself who came to visit Paul in that prison cell. And if you had any doubts about that at all, they should be settled by what the Lord says next. He says, take courage. Take courage. It's a single word, actually, in the Greek. It's used only by Jesus in the New Testament. Four other times, all right? In, in the New Testament, take courage, Jesus says, to the bedridden paralytic. Take courage, Jesus says, to the woman with a 12-year hemorrhage. Take courage, he says, to his disciples when they're in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Take courage, he says, in John 16, on the night before his crucifixion. Why? Because I have overcome the world. That's why we have courage, because of what Jesus has done for us. It's not, hey, Paul, pluck up your courage, kind of man up, right? That, that is not what he is saying. He is saying, I have overcome the world, Paul, so you can have courage to face whatever is next. Whatever is coming down the pike, you don't need to worry. All right, what comfort the Lord's presence must have brought to Paul. No wonder he was so bold when he preached to the Jews. 
No wonder he was so brilliant when he preached to the Gentiles. Paul knew that Jesus was with him through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, he knew the Spirit would give him the courage to say what, he needed, to be, what needed to be said. He knew the Spirit would give him the wisdom to know how to testify to both the Jews in Jerusalem and the Gentiles in, the, in Rome. By the Spirit's provision and the Spirit's pro, uh, providence, he was the right man for the right season whom God had called for the right reason. Now here's the thing, you friends are also the right people for the right season whom God has called for the right reason. Don't ever doubt that. The Lord Jesus Christ is with you. He lives inside you through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He will never leave you or forsake you. And what he is saying to you this morning is this, take courage. Take courage. Whatever you are facing in your life, take courage. Whatever burdens you are carrying, take courage. Whatever stresses and anxieties you may feel, take courage. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit will provide all you need to accomplish His will for your life. Amen? You can take that to the bank, friends. Perhaps this is why Paul was so fearless. He knew he was living his life under the protection of the Holy Spirit. He knew he was immortal until his work for God was done. He would not die one day sooner, nor could he extend his life one day later than what God had already ordained. Let me tell you, there's incredible freedom in having that kind of confidence in the Holy Spirit. I hear it over and over and over again when I go to Africa. It's what my girls got to experience when we were over there. They see these fearless men and women, many of whom are not that much older than they are, risking it all for the sake of the gospel. These church planters are utterly convinced that no servant of God ever dies a premature death. Never. And that's why they go. They know their lives are in the Spirit's hands. No wonder my girls came back changed. Right? You can't help yourself. So you look at the danger that Paul faces in this passage, Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through 24. Look at this. I mean, this is crazy. When it was day, some of the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath to neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him when he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, for he has something to say. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And the young man said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. Do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush to kill him. They have bound themselves by an oath to either eat nor drink until they have killed him, and now they are ready, waiting for your consent. And so the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. And he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. 
Look at what the Holy Spirit does here for Paul, right? He exposes a conspiracy by using Paul's own nephew, places him in the protective custody of the most powerful empire on the planet at the time for safety. He moves him from Jerusalem to Caesarea Maritima on the coast where he will eventually make his way to Rome to defend the Christian faith before Caesar himself. It is remarkable when you think about it. These are the kinds of things that happen to God's servants all around the world. Heard story after story, uh, you know, from men and women who escape with their lives from very dangerous situations through the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember one young missionary telling me about a Muslim man who made a vow to kill him. But when it came time, when he was confronted by the man, and the man had a gun and he tried to pull the trigger, his gun kept jamming over and over and over again. Think of the stories we've heard from missionaries like, like Sitan Lee, who we support here at Pepsi, who's often attacked and persecuted when he goes back to Cambodia. Survivor of the killing fields under Pol Pot, Sitan has a target on his back, back in his home country, and still he goes. He was put in prison a couple of years ago. He was threatened and intimidated, but, but as he was in that prison, he took every opportunity to begin preaching Christ. They took his clothes away to shame him, and there he is naked in a prison, preaching Christ to Cambodians. And he was so successful, so many started coming to Christ, he actually converted the commandant of that prison. And so they kicked him back out, right? <laughs> and every time he goes over there, he goes back to that prison because now he's got a church there. And he feels responsible as a pastor for those people. Is that because of Satan? Of course not. It's the power and the protection of the Holy Spirit. If you ever get a chance to talk to Satan, he lives up here in Aurora. I'd encourage you to do that or have him come to your small group Bible study or something. Um, he is one of God's greatest living heroes, and it's such an honor for us as a church to partner with him in the, in the proclamation of the gospel around the world. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and um, our kids will be coming back in from um, our kids' ministry time to join us in our final song. Here's, the, here's what I want you to think about. Imagine what you would do if you knew your life was never at stake. Imagine what you could accomplish, what you would risk if you truly believed you lived under the protection of the Holy Spirit. That's it. You would not depart this world one day earlier nor extend your life one day more than what God has ordained. Now, people ask me all the time if I am scared or nervous about going to the countries like South Sudan where there is no rule of law and you experience some of the deepest poverty in the world. Some think I'm a, people think I'm a little crazy for taking my daughters over there and placing them at unnecessary risk. But I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe He is guiding me and protecting me along the way. And that doesn't mean I won't necessarily be hurt or lose my life even on the mission field. That may happen. We're going to be going to some dark places in the years ahead. Places like Somalia, potentially Yemen. And I really believe with all my heart, and I am praying that God will allow me to be planting churches in Mecca before I die. All right? But that can only happen through the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to be able to accomplish that. I don't have the courage to do that. I don't have the strength to do that. I don't have the resources to do that. Only the Holy Spirit can make that happen. Providentially providing us access, giving us abundant provision in terms of time and resources and protecting us, but not only us, protecting really the brave men and women that we are sending out into these places. They're the real heroes. What about you? What about your life? What is God calling you to do? What risks is he asking you to make? Do you trust his providence? Do you trust his provision? Do you trust his protection? Let's pray.
Father, we give you thanks uh, for all these things and so much more. Living with Christ, there's nothing better. (laughs) There's nothing greater, God. There's no greater calling. There's no greater joy. There's no greater adventure than living and serving and loving you, God. And, And the opportunities then that you give us to not only do that right here at home with our families and in our homes and in our neighborhoods and with people that we work with and and hang out with and and spend time with, but really all around the world, God. We live in a time where we can get to the other side of the world so fast, God, and it's amazing how we can take this gospel to places that were otherwise inaccessible just a few decades ago. Lord, what an amazing time to be alive. What an amazing time to, to, uh, to be here, to serve you, God, and to love you and to, to give all that we have to you, God. I just pray that here at Pepsi we would continue our journey to surrender to the Holy Spirit, to open up our hearts, God, that you might fill us, God, for your glory, God, and send us out not only to be a blessing to those we love, to be a blessing to those around us, whoever they may be. So, God, even as you turn your face towards us, may we turn our faces outward to a world that is in desperate need of the gospel. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.